1: Welcome
2: to McCamish Pavilion on the campus of the Georgia Institute of Technology. This is a special edition of Political Rewind, our inaugural edition. At 2 o'clock this afternoon, the ceremonies uh, that will lead to the swearing-in of Brian Kemp as the 83rd governor of Georgia will, will unfold. And we will be here live to bring you the entire ceremony as it goes along, as you can see right now. People are filling in the seats here at the pavilion, and uh, we still have a little time before the actual ceremony starts. So we thought, let's do a political rewind, coming to you an hour early. You can watch us on all the usual platforms, Facebook Live, but we're on TV on GPB TV, GPB Radio. Uh, and on uh, all of our digital platforms. I'm Bill Nigat. I want to welcome Dr. Andre Gillespie, political science professor at Emory University. Is this, have you been to a, any of these before? This
0: is my first your Georgia first inaugural. One.
2: All right, well, good. We'll be interested in hearing your take as things good. unfold. Uh, next to you, Loretta Lepore, a, a longtime Republican strategist, press secretary to Sunny Purdue. You certainly, lit, boy, you must have been busy on this day. When Sonny Perdue was first sworn in. Well,
1: actually, I wasn't yet hired oh, you weren't. at that point, oh. right? So I came in about eight eight months into his first administration.
2: But you were there for the second, yes? I
1: was. Uh, I actually left before the second. I was at the Depar- <laughs> I was actually at the Department of Economic <laughs> that Development. That was part of
2: the planning, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and, of course, uh, my partner, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, whose columns appear on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. Jim? McCamish Pavilion used to be Alexander Memorial Coliseum. It went through a huge renovation uh, in around 2010 or so. And uh, by the way, before they changed it to McCamish, what it was really known as was the Thriller Dome. Because of the Georgia Tech basketball teams that have played here over the decade. right? And what you have—that's
3: going to be the subtext of the evening, I, I <laughs> think—is that you've got a you've got a committed Georgia Bulldog being sworn in as governor on on the Tech campus. You know,
2: it strikes me, Loretta, uh-huh. that this tells you something about Brian Kemp's feeling of confidence as the new governor of Georgia. That this committed Bulldog. Uh, who, had, who used to miss campaign days to watch games out in Athens, would actually come to Georgia Tech. That's right. He must feel very confident. Oh, I think he is pretty, <laughs> feeling pretty secure today. Also, the
1: Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan, this is his alma mater. So uh, it'll probably be very meaningful for him to be sworn in here today.
2: All right, um, so let's do this. Um, let's talk just a little bit, and Andra, let me start with you, if I may. Of, of course, one of the things we're gonna be waiting for today mm-hmm when Brian Kemp gives his speech, and and then throughout this week and Thursday when he delivers his State of the State message, this question that we've been batting around uh, for the last few weeks, which is how will Brian Kemp govern? He ran to the right, mm-hmm. not just in the primary, but through the general election as well. Uh, now does he have to find a way to get away from some of those hot-button issues and move to the center? Is this the beginning or continuation, maybe, of an attempt to reconcile people in this state?
0: So, I mean, I think you raise a number of issues there. So first, you know, I've, I've fielded questions for print media about, you know, who has the onus to reconcile. And I think as the victor, the onus is on those who want to actually extend the olive branch mm-hmm. and to try to reach out because they're in the position of power and governance. So I think today what we're going to be looking for are tone and how tone ties to substance. So we want to see whether or not Governor Kemp extends a conciliatory tone towards uh, those he defeated in the election and whether or not it looks like he seeks to govern those who may not have supported him in the election and who still may remain skeptical of him. And one of the ways that we can see that is through the types of policies that he chooses to champion. So does he pick, in terms of his top three priorities going into his administration, issues that can um, reach across the aisle that seem to affect all Georgians regardless of whom they voted for in the election or their background? Or does he pick issues that then sort of hew to his base um, that look like he's trying to keep campaign promises. And I think that will be sort of a big signal about how he chooses to govern.
2: You know, Loretta, he said a lot of times during the campaign he wanted to be the champion for small business. Right. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think is interesting about that is uh, when you say you want to work for business, quite often that leads people to believe, well, you're going to stay away from some of those hot-button social issues. But when you talk about small business, uh, there are small businesses out there in the state that care very much about things like religious liberty. And, uh, so it, it, it's kind of interesting. He's not saying he's going to be the champion for Delta Airlines, Home Depot, whatever, although he may be. Uh, he's talking about small business. Does that kind of keep it am I misunderstanding this that that sort of keeps his options open
1: well I think to Andra's point he's going to look for those issues where there's broad consensus because you want to have accomplishments particularly in your first year and so he's going to look at things like the teacher pay increase. Um, I think he can get bipartisan support for that initiative. School security, um, that's going to be a big one. Uh, so those are areas, and always economic development is a bridge builder. And so I think you can get bipartisan support on issues, particularly about developing rural Georgia. And I think that's where he's going to spend a lot of his focus this first year, as as needs to be quite quite candidly and outside of metro Atlanta there are a lot of small businesses you know Georgia is one of the leading states in the nation for female entrepreneurs um, and minority entrepreneurs and so um, it, would, it it serves a lot of different purposes for him to have that focus area
2: Jim you want to talk about a big moment in uh in the, in the news world look who's just walked oh in oh my <laughs> goodness <laughs> Vince to the camish The great Vince Dooley, uh, who obviously made his territory. In tech territory. I will note that his tie is is (laughs) red. Well, Jim, you know, it's interesting, um, because the last time we saw Vince Dooley really uh, active as a political figure was way back when they were be- he was being courted to run for the United States Senate back well in
3: but but later, later you forget you forget, uh, Bill, that uh, the last political rally that I saw him at was at the Fox theater. It was a Donald Trump rally exactly. thank you. you I did forget about that Sorry. and 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 he endorsed Donald Trump. yeah. Yeah,
1: and we should note that Brian Kemp is very close to the Dooley family, not just based on geography and it being his alum, but he actually spent quite a bit of time with the Dooley family growing up, um, and was roommates in college with um, Vince Dooley's son.
2: I did not know that. Yeah, there's a if you way down at the bottom of the screen, if you're watching us on TV, is Vince Dooley's wife, Barbara Dooley. She herself, Jim, was active, wanted to have a political career. She ran for Congress. She, Uh, She ran at one point. So. Anyhow, they are—they are here with us uh, for this ceremony uh, today. You don't have to worry about this stuff. You don't have a football team at Emory.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, but I have to admit, I (laughs) went to a rival ACC school. So when you talk about good basketball, I'm like, well, aside from that drought in the (laughs) mid '90s to, like, you know, most of them aughts, I was like, yeah, my alma mater beats Georgia Georgia Tech pretty regularly. (laughs) Right.
2: Um, Let's uh, let's take a minute uh, to talk about how the uh, Kemp family, Uh, his three daughters, his wife Marty, Brian Kemp started their public day today. There was a prayer service over at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Buckhead. It was a private ceremony for friends of the family, for family themselves. There were, I think, some 16 ministers from North Georgia, maybe from more than North Georgia, invited to participate in the service. A rabbi from North Fulton County, was also there. And um, let's just listen to the kind of comments, the prayers that were being said. Here's Reverend Robert C. Wright, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. Oh Lord, the governor of every soul, bless those who hold the public trust and serve the common good, especially Brian elected governor. Bless his family and his home that they may know the joy and refreshment essential for effective service. As he exercises the authority entrusted to him, bless him with faith, wisdom, and courage to do your will, O oh God, above all else. I said St. Luke's, Jim. Of course, it, it was St. Philip, which is right up there on Peachtree Beautiful, Road, beautiful beautiful cathedral. church, and the center of a lot of civic activity over, <laughs> over many, many years. Uh, so that was the tone of a lot of the uh, uh, prayers that were said, Jim, was uh, bring us all together. It's very much the theme of the day
3: right right and 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 you saw a little bit at uh now I, I wasn't there but at the state capitol we had a prayer convocation on sunday and one of the one of those speaking was was david ralston and and you know he he quoted his mama saying uh rancor does not please the lord so let's make this let, let this let, let's make this a, a nice quiet session
2: yeah god is not happy he essentially said Audra with." Uh, are uh, fighting and feuding with each other. It's kind of a remarkable thing for the Speaker of the House to talk about.
0: Well, I mean it is and it isn't. so I remember growing up in church and you know one of the things that you talk about are he who sows division among the brethren. Um, and you know we interpreted that in my church as somebody who was especially divisive could get kicked out. Um, of the congregation for causing trouble, um, so you know it, it's important to sort of bring people back to that notion of reconciliation. Um, so for people who take their faith seriously, we're supposed to be reconciled to God, and then you are to try to seek reconciliation on with other, other people to the extent possible.
3: On the other hand, we do have a we do have a political situation where the House just lost eleven Republican yep. seats, and so maybe a little
2: prayer for peace and, <laughs> and, and, and comedy <laughs> was in order. Yep. So um, let's address that directly, Loretta there uh, you know we monitor pretty closely the uh, feedback we get on Twitter that we get on Facebook live mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there who were were exc- enthusiastic on both sides of this election but but right now the the people who were supporting Stacey Abrams are feeling angry at least what we hear from them they're there some of them are saying this isn't my governor I won't it, it how does a you know, what does a Brian Kemp do to address that kind of feeling out there? Because Democrats have made it clear, Georgia Democrats, they plan to be on the attack, uh, if necessary, for the entire next four years.
1: Right. And, and we're liable to see some, some rancor um, in the legislature this year along partisan lines that may be outside the bounds of actual debate over legislation um, because of the way that the election went uh, last November. But I think that um, Brian is going to have to walk the walk quite candidly, and that the only way to really uh, so some of the division is to be able to through his actions and that's going to take some time That is not going to happen overnight. It can't be just to have a conversation It's not just going to be the speak though That will we'll see here today how he sets that initial tone, but it's going to have to be follow through action And we're looking at speaker Ralston right now as the veteran um, at, under the Gold Dome, he's got a new lieutenant governor, a new governor, a lot of new staff in both in both of those offices, um, a lot of new members in the House. We've got a couple new members in the Senate. Uh, so he is he is it, it, for all essence. A lot of people are looking to him um, for guidance, and that and that includes the lobby corps, uh, policy folks as well.
2: By the way, and I may be wrong, but I saw a very quick shot out of the corner of my eye of. Uh, what appeared to be Weich Fowler uh, down there. I wonder if Weich Fowler is actually here. There was a quick shot. We're watching uh, the the, uh, shots that our truck is getting on the TV side as uh, people file in. And, excuse it, uh, Tom, oh, there's Tom Price, uh, former secretary of HHS, and Jim, of course, former congressman. He he was the congressman in the 6th district. Now in the hands
3: of Democrat
2: Lucy, Lucy McBach. Right, and
3: that's Betty Price's Price. wife yep. right next to him, who, uh, who lost her house seat uh, on in November. Uh, Price, you'll remember, is is part of the, the, the Kemp transition team now. Uh, specifically, we think, brought in to deal with uh, what happens with health care in r- rural Georgia and elsewhere. Which, of
2: course, Andre, is going to be a hot issue throughout this session. We had the speaker on Rewind a week ago, he said, He is not interested in supporting the expansion of Medicaid. He believes, as did Nathan Deal before him, and as apparently Brian Kemp does too, that although the Feds will pick up the bulk of the cost now, they're not confident that that will continue to be the case. But there's no question that what happens to Medicaid is going to be a huge issue in this session.
0: Well, that's one of those bread-and-butter issues that can't be ignored. Um, this isn't one of the issues that I would expect one can build bridges, uh, because there are just diametrically opposed viewpoints about how to deal with healthcare. care. Um, but I think that there will be a robust debate about what I you know, am anticipating is going to be a huge debate about certificate of need. Um, for uh, for rural hospitals in particular, and whether or not that's actually an efficient way to address the problems of rural healthcare. I expect Democrats are going to provide an alternative that would actually try to subsidize rural hospitals so that they stay open um, and to try to take the market out of it in some way, shape, or form. And I expect the Democrats or uh, Republicans are gonna push back on that.
2: Um, we've got a bunch of people we want to uh, uh, acknowledge. On the uh, left side of your uh, screen is former Representative Ed Lindsay, a regular on Political Rewind. Now, in fact, he'll be with us on Wednesday's show. And to the right, another uh, regular member of our panel, Sam Olens, the former Attorney General of Georgia, and I think another former Attorney General. There he is, Thurbert Baker, uh, who was Attorney General under uh, Roy Barnes when, when Barnes was governor. Jim, I. I get it. Before we went on the air, when we saw the Thurber to come in, uh, there's been there's been so much attention paid to the uh, constant friction between former Attorney General Jeff Sessions and President Trump. Uh, they didn't get along. Trump was angry at him most of the time. Uh, Thurbert Baker was totally independent as much as he could be and roy barnes was constantly concerned that he couldn't get Thurber to toe the line yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and 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 to tell you the truth it's a, it's a the, the, that's the difference between
3: georgia and, and the federal government of course is the attorney general is elected separately on his own and uh, no they did not get along and in fact i think <laughs> it was the 2000 was it the 2000, 2010 2010 2010 race for governor uh uh they
2: were in the same democratic primary and of course uh thurbert baker lost yeah that's exactly right um so jim let's move on and and talk about a few other issues and we'll come back as we see people and as the folks out in the truck see people who we want to point out um i think we should talk a little bit about the shutdown and how it's affecting georgia because it has now moved into its we're day 23 and uh a couple of stories are really starting to, to resonate, I think, with people in a bigger way than they had before. One of the mantra is that the AJC this morning had a big breaking news red banner on their website saying that TSA lines at Hartsfield were now more than an hour long. This is the first time we've heard that TSA is not able to move people as quickly as they had been. I'm I'm supposing we haven't seen a full write-through of this story. I'm supposing there are more people calling in sick, Mm -hmm. perhaps, work slowdowns of various kinds. This is the sort of stuff that really hits home.
0: And it's the kind of thing that might actually make people understand how this affects your daily life. So if uh, you are a proponent of small government, there's some people who are like, oh, who cares if the government is shut down, like they do too much and they waste our money. But I think we forget the small and mundane ways that government is involved in all of our lives, and that they by necessity have to be involved in our lives. Um, and as we start to feel this pinch, uh, perhaps uh, citizens will put pressure on their legislature legislators to come to a solution and to try to push the president to try to compromise on these issues. But it's not just two lines in TSA. TSA is saying, and there is a lot of reason to believe that the shutdown didn't have an effect on this, but, you know, one of the things that was noted was that a gun got from Atlanta exactly. to Tokyo, uh, exactly. um, you know, about a week and a half ago.
2: Yep. A, a gun passed through security at Hartsfield International Airport. and And the person who carried it when he got to his destination said, yep, here's the gun that i was able to get past everybody loretta
1: i think that's absolutely right that we're beginning to feel um, impacts of the shutdown in different ways i mean i think we were um, looking at uh, how how the president might find alternatives um, to fund uh, the wall or border security and um, we've seen over the weekend that he has opted not to go toward a national emergency he's He's really reticent to apparently to um, pull that trigger, and so any funds that may have been in jeopardy for, say, the Port of Savannah, the dredging or Tybee Islands. Um, you know, the the repair of their sand dunes and so forth, um, that does not seem to be in jeopardy. But we do know that some of our congressional delegation is watching this closely. We know that uh, Congressman Buddy Carter, for example, who represents the Savannah area, has been very engaged in watching that to ensure that um, none of those assets down on the coast are negatively impacted. Along with the the farmers, obviously, down in South Georgia who are still receiving um, federal funding for the impacts of the hurricane.
3: But you've got—you uh, also have—well, uh, first of all, uh, back to Hartsfield. I mean, Hartsfield's the economic engine uh, of, of, of Georgia, uh, along, with, uh, along with agriculture. If you—if you're—if if we were going to see an impact of the shutdown anywhere, it's going to be in Hartsfield. Sure. Second place is uh, South Georgia, is uh, areas, uh, areas struck by uh, Hurricane Michael. Uh, because because it's not the processing of of
2: that aid that's already been appropriated Uh, it pretty much has been frozen yeah Uh, let's do this i want to continue this conversation but um, i think we should probably get our first break of the show out of the way while we have a moment to do that Uh, again we're coming to you live from mccamish pavilion at georgia tech where we're uh doing our regular political rewind just an hour early we hope you're with us and at two o'clock we'll transition to covering the inauguration of brian kemp we'll be right back we're live at mccamish pavilion at georgia tech where we're awaiting the inauguration in about an hour and a half uh uh, governor-elect kemp will be sworn in and uh, in the meantime this is Political Rewind. I'm here with Dr. Andre Gillespie, Loretta Lepore, and Jim Galloway. And uh, we are gonna continue talking about other issues of political interest uh, before we get to the actual inauguration at two. Jim, let me go back to the, to the uh, shutdown for just another minute in terms of how it affects Georgia. It, it is my understanding that while the White House has said that uh, there are certain projects like Tybee Island, uh, uh, the replenishment of the beach there. I think it is some of the storm damage. The, there are questions still about the Savannah Port and whether the funding will be in place for that. Um, and as far as farmers, I think the farmers isn't the emergency relief fund money now. Not getting through to them because of the shutdown. Well,
3: I I can tell you that I've got a daughter employed in FEMA. Yes, you she, she is sitting at home right now, with with a whole uh, probably about eighty percent of the eighty percent of the staff. So that is that's not get, getting through. But I, I will tell you what on in, in this we may be getting too far in the weeds here, Bill. But if 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 we don't reach a resolution on the shutdown and we truly and and Trump. Truly does declare a, a national emergency and start appropriating the money just as he likes. You know, th- th- number one, that's a that's a, that that is really threatening to Congress, especially in the House, and especially since they've given up uh, they they've, they've they've given up the the, uh, the ability to insert their own projects into
2: the in, into the budget. And, and that's where he could raid money that was earmarked for, say, the Savannah uh, port. Uh, a dredging expansion, right? But what I'm saying
3: is, what I'm saying is, if he declares a national emergency, that could be the end of the the Republican resistance to earmarks. They could yeah. bring ear- earmarks back.
2: Go ahead.
0: There's already been some discussion of bringing earmarks back. So I think that that's already on the table. I mean, I think the larger question here is the institutional question um, about whether or not and how appropriate is it for uh, presidents to try to supersede congressional deadlocks by declaring things national emergencies. So there's the issue of whether or not this is a national emergency. And the flaw in the National Emergencies Act, which actually empowers presidents to do these things, is that they didn't define what an emergency was. Um, And then it becomes a question about whether or not the separations of powers are actually being breached. And so that's why most people assume that if he does this, that there will be some type of litigation that would eventually sort of, you know, end up saying, no, you probably can't do that, but at least it actually gets you out of the shutdown. So
2: let me keep it with you, if I can, Andra, and bring it back to Georgia for a minute. I was a little surprised, and this got lost, I think, because of the holidays. I I, I was a bit surprised that Kemp, Governor-elect Kemp, decided to weigh in on the shutdown uh, fairly early on. It it may not have actually started when he did, but Kemp uh, made a statement that he was supportive of what the president wanted to do to build the wall, even if it meant shutting down the government. And I I know that Brian Kemp owes the president some payback. Mm -hmm. The president really had a big impact on his becoming governor. But I just was a little surprised he'd want to wade in on that.
0: Um, well, I mean, I think that that's a fair question. I think the you know endorsement during the primary uh, runoff in particular, you know was a big deal, and he did, owe President Trump something. You know, it's also true that the governor Kemp ran on, you know, an immigration platform, um, and so this is very much in keeping with how he ran as a candidate and the types of constituents and voters that he was looking for um, in the general election. Um, you know, I think that there, you know, is a bigger question about, you know, whether or not in the long run that's actually sort of like the right thing to do. But as as a governor elect, before you've actually assumed power, um, you know, it makes sense for him to be able to make that type of statement. Um, and now as governor, we may see, especially now that this has dragged on for as long as it has, him say something a little bit different.
3: Yeah, and, and, and the other, and, we, and we've mentioned this on the program before, Bill, is is that uh, we, we're not looking four years ahead, we're looking two years ahead. Uh, and Republicans are in a bit of a spot because they'll have Donald Trump on the ticket. They've already seen that it's
2: a uh, yeah, we're, we're pointing to Saxby. Saxby Chambliss. Chambliss there. Can we get that? Maybe we get that shot back while you're talking. Uh, Jim. Oh, there's, Chris, there's Riley. Chris Riley, and there's on the Chris left. Riley, uh, who has now been elected. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Chris Riley, uh, who was uh, Nathan Deal's chief of staff, uh, and now going to set up a business with Nathan Deal. And there's Saxby Chambliss. Right. Right. Go ahead, right. Jim. I interrupted. No, what, you. I was,
3: what I was saying is is that uh, that Republicans in Georgia are focused on 2020. And the re-election of David Perdue, and 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 holding on to the state house and holding on to the state senate, and if you're going to do that, uh, I saw I saw that that tweet from from uh, Kemp, and it was also from Ralston supporting the shutdown, as as kind of maintaining that tie with the base that they're going to be calling on uh, in just a you know in little more than a year. Loretta.
1: Well, I think it is a core issue that resonated with the base, obviously, immigration reform, and it's long overdue. Um, And so I don't think it's surprising that the Republicans are holding together on this particular issue. Um, I think, you know, to Andra's point, you know, we, we began to see, back with the DACA, discussion back under the Obama administration, um, his decision ultimately when he could not work with the Congress or get the Congress to move on immigration reform Mm -hmm. in a bipartisan manner to take executive action. And that was um, strongly, that action was strongly condemned by Republicans. And we see some Republicans in Congress coming out and stating, you know, remember when. Um, And, you know, there are some that have said, I don't know that we can support, um, you know, that type of action or that that's the best way to go. So I think, um, and I think quite candidly, the president has come around to the fact that if he did do that, it would go to court. He stated that quite Hmm. clearly, that there would be legal action. And then he's allowing Congress to not act, right? It's now becoming the third branch of government, the courts deciding, um, what should be quite clearly a legislative decision. Mm-hmm.
2: There, there was another shot again. You can uh, follow the show on a lot of platforms right now. We're, we're of course, on the radio uh, across the state, as we always are, but if you want to turn on GPB TV, if you're in a place where you can do that, we're broadcasting this on our TV network. And, uh, of course, you can be watching us on Facebook Live. Uh, we just had another shot of Saxby Chambliss a second ago. Jim, and just to make sure, for people who there, there he is. is, there we go. Uh, Saxby Chambliss, former United States Senator in uh, the state of Georgia,
1: right? And, and one of the Gang of Eight, I might add, <laughs> on right. the immigration reform yep, uh, measure. Right.
2: Exactly,
3: and they, his
1: wife Julianne sitting next to him.
3: Yeah, it was it was what 2006 or 2007 when he and Johnny ISAACSON were part of the the. The, the the Kennedy uh, Ed Kennedy Ted Kennedy uh, John McCain effort to to tackle immigration reform a comprehensive
2: blew, plan and it blew up in their faces. Andra, uh, those of us who were uh, uh, following this mm-hmm. closely, and you may have been, uh, remember that uh, for his part in this gang of eight and his efforts at comprehensive immigration reform, he was booed virtually off the stage at the state republican convention it 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 tells you just how when people talk about well let's just pass an immigration reform bill right. uh it's right, not right. that easy and,
3: and and if you recall the, the, when when he next when he was up for re-election he he was forced into a runoff, runoff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 i'm sure that's one of the reasons why he chose not to run for re-election in 2014. andre
0: So, um, yeah, I mean, I I totally remember that. Um, You know, and also part of the reason why he ended up in a runoff in 2008 was because it was uh, the year that Barack Obama was elected. And so there was a lot of Democratic excitement around that that dissipated by the time we got to a runoff. I mean, I think from a national standpoint, one of the things that's actually really disheartening about this entire um, debacle, and I think it is a debacle, is the way that we see Democrats and Republicans talking past each other. And I think the fact that Senator Chambliss got booed was um, a sign that we may not have realized at the time um, of the rightward ideological shift in the the Republican Party that, you know, has been matched by a leftward ideological shift in the Republican Party, which makes it harder um, to find common ground. But in particular, in this debate, Um, we have the president offering a wall, and the Democrats have not necessarily as clearly offered, hey, we don't like the wall, but here are all the things that we do want for border security. If people were to put that on the table, then perhaps that's the beginning of the discussion, other than, hey, I'm gonna throw a meeting in 45 minutes and here's the wall, no, we can't have the wall, all right, we're done.
2: Yeah, well, sadly, this story seems to be going on and on and on and with no real end in sight. So I'm sure we'll have an opportunity, unfortunately, uh, to talk about it as we move forward. Again, uh, you're looking, if you're watching us on TV, at pictures from the Camish uh, Pavilion at Georgia Tech. We're starting to fill in out there. Well, there's still a lot of empty seats, but I don't think they will be empty for uh, very long. The ceremony itself will start at uh, two o'clock. Jim, I, I want to go to um, a column that you wrote over the weekend that uh, I think you should spend a minute or two really telling us about a development at Stone Mountain Park that you write may be the beginning of some kind of breakthrough in making Stone Mountain uh, more responsive to all Georgians. Well, we were,
3: we were looking for that, that, we were talking about maybe Kemp trying to, to find a, a symbol of unity to yes. bring back this 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 could be it. Okay, you'll recall that maybe uh, uh, three and a half years ago, uh, Bill Stevens, who is the CEO of the Stone Mountain Memorial Association, pitched an mm-hmm. idea. He wanted to put a, a a bell tower in honor of Martin Luther King and his 1963 "I Have a Dream" speech. There was a, that Let line: "Let freedom uh, ring." Let freedom Stone ring from Stone Mountain. Mountain. All right. Uh, Stone Mountain has a, a has a branding problem. Number one, the Confederacy is not a commercially viable uh, uh, enterprise anymore. Uh, what's more, you know, it's, you've got more and more focus on Stone Mountain as the birth, second birthplace of the Klan in 1915. OK, so, so there's, 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 there's a narrative problem here. And, and Stevens was, was, was trying to fix that by saying, look, here are the generals on the side of the mountain. Above them is, is, is Martin Luther King. They were the beginning of the story. He's the end of the story. Uh, the Stone Mountain Memorial Association balked at that because they thought it it it, it didn't fit with the legislative purpose of it. Mm-hmm. All right, so so that, that that was placed on the bat uh, back burner. Then uh, uh, in 2017, Nathan Deal appointed Michael Thurman, DeKalb County CEO, to be the only he 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 was he was he appointed when he was appointed he was the only African American on the Stone Mountain Memorial Association board. Yeah. All right and uh michael is a history buff he's a, he's a very good history buff he's, he's got at least one book under his under his belt at this point uh but he was sitting in a a, a historical seminar where, where somebody from dnr had mentioned to him that there's a covered bridge on on stone mountain Park uh, property and lo and behold it was built by this by by the second son of a multi-generational bridge building family who were african americans the father was a a, a former slave and what's 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 cool about that thing? By is the that way,
2: there's Eric Tannenblatt uh, right in the middle of uh, the TV picture, uh, a frequent panelist on the show and one of the major bundlers for Republican uh, presidential candidates, particularly. Go ahead, uh, talking to Sam Mullins, Go ahead, right. Jeff.
3: Okay, uh, and, and and so, uh, and Mary, Mary Norwood, Norwood now oh, in the there foreground. Oh go. my goodness. Okay, please go ahead. Uh, okay, so she was uh, so. So Thurman had an idea. He went to Stevens, he went to Carolyn Meadows, who's the chairman of, 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 of and, they, and they looked up the history. They verified the history, all right? On Tuesday, the Mo- Stone Mountain Memorial Association is going to put the name of King on, a st- on, on that covered bridge. It's not gonna be Martin Luther King, it's gonna be Washington W. King, who's the fellow who built it uh, back in 1893. Why that's important is that it's an acknowledgement by the Stone Mountain Association that there's other history that can be told on that site, that 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 Stone Mountain isn't just a a, a corpseless cemetery, that you can that you can have other stories
2: on that. Do they have the votes, uh, as as far as you know? As uh, Bill so, Stevens well, said, well, he knows that he has uh, the vote.
3: It didn't come from Bill, but I was talking to somebody who knew it last night, and they said it's 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 going to be a unanimous vote on Tuesday.
2: Okay, so you broke that story, and even in the column that you wrote, which appeared in the Sunday AJC you acknowledged that it seemed like a very small matter in many ways you were you were very candid oh yeah and and that's how it it, it to have to back into it this way Andrea and loretta um i i guess it matters but it feels so awful that we have to back into this
0: <laughs> so you know i acknowledge small steps I don't think that this actually settles the controversy. And so Mm. Stone Mountain is always going to be a lightning rod as long as it has Confederate generals on it and as long as people are at loggerheads. Because people, honestly, um, if you look at public opinion data, and I've collected it in different contexts and different locations, you know, there isn't a real consensus about what to do um, with Confederate monuments and how to deal with them. So I think that it's still likely going to be a flashpoint, you know, as long as race is salient. Well, I expect we're going to see some of this debate
1: again in the legislature this year also about the Confederate monuments and whether, in particular, whether local governments around the state uh, should have the say over what they do. Can they take them down? Can they put them in museums? Um, without, because written into law, the state has to approve that type of of measure. So I wholly expect that that debate is going to come up, particularly given a little bit of the shifting dynamic, party dynamic um, in the legislature. So we'll see how that goes. So that's going to raise more questions about Stone Mountain.
2: Democrats are going to promote, are going to push that kind of legislation, right, Jim? Right, and
3: they're going to try to get a formal alliance with the Georgia Municipal Association, maybe the Association of County uh, Commissioners of Georgia, uh, because it is an impingement on, on uh, local government on, on telling them what they can do with their with 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 the with the, the art- artifacts that they actually own, uh, and this was uh, we, I should we should remind uh, listeners uh, this was a this was a, a part of a a, a 2001 compromise uh, that in in uh, in exchange for acceding to the 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 hauling down of the 1956 segregation era flag of Georgia. Uh, That they would give this extra protection to confederate monuments,
2: but is there okay? So given? uh, what what, uh, Andra said particularly It's Mike Thurman. We should point out kind of got out of this. He's no longer on the association Mm -hmm. And he seems to have decided to back off a bit in terms of working on Stone Mountain. Am I no, right no, about no, that? No, 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 I don't
3: think so. No, no, he, no? He, he, He's he, just he, doing it more quietly? He left the board, he left the, the Stone Mountain board because he, he was appointed to the ATL board. And and the bylaws of the ATL board say you can't hold any other state position in there. So, But uh, but uh, Nathan Deal appointed in his place uh, kind of a, a hand-picked uh, a DeKalb County African-American resident that, that Thurman to, All right into. here.
2: I guess that what I was getting at is uh, they make this first step They agree to, to name the bridge in honor of the builder a man named King Do they have a next step next step is is, is maybe you go back to that bell
3: tower or, but, or but, marker. but Are
2: they actually you're talking to the people there? Are they in fact looking at that to the best of your knowledge? That's going to require a green light from the guy who's down on the floor and who's about Ah. to get sworn in. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Jim. You just led me to a break. Let's do that. (laughs) Let's get another break out of the way. By the way, just about four minutes ago, as we were talking, we heard our first major fanfare, (laughs) the first musical fanfare, and I'm sure you all heard it at home as well. Um, If you're watching us on television right now, and if you're listening, I believe I'm right. That, that's the University of Georgia Hugh Hodgson, Hodgson Wind Ensemble and, uh, and, a, and a military uh, a band playing. It looks like a military band playing as well. I'll find out. And it is, uh, Tom Faust says it's a Georgia military band. Let's take a break right now. We'll come back with more from the Kamish Pavilion. We're back at McCamish Pavilion at Georgia Tech. Uh, Tom Faust and Robert Jimmison uh, just told us that outside McCamish, where of course we'll watch the uh, swearing in of Brian Kemp in about, just about an hour from now, I think, a little more, uh, there's a small protest. There are some 80 uh, young people who uh, Robert Jimmison tells us seem to be of college age. We don't know if they're students here or not, uh, but there are some protesters out there who uh, clearly are not happy about uh, Brian uh, Kemp. And uh, R- Robert is uh, telling me that they put something up on Twitter if you want to see some pictures of that. All right, Jim, let's go to an- another story that caught both of our attention this morning. We talked about it early today in the GPB newsroom. Stacey Abrams, who we, we now know is being courted by Senate Democrats in Washington. She went up and met with Chuck Schumer. Uh, to run for the Senate seat. She was out in San Francisco and made a statement that is going to confirm some of the worst things that were said about her during the gubernatorial race or appeared to. Right, this was
3: this was on the PBS firing line with Margaret Hoover posted about, it was posted as, as the weekend began, but basically Hoover asked Abrams if she approved of uh, the San Francisco policy that allows some non-citizen voters to vote in local elections. And the the important thing is, she didn't say no. She didn't say yes. She 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 said she has she's kind of undecided on that. She'd have to. She says it's worthy of debate. Uh, And what the significance of that, of course, is is that you really saw Republicans leveling. Uh, charge after charge uh, on her uh, during the kind of their response to to Abrams's accusations of voter suppression was
2: they were they were saying Abrams is, is wanted illegal illegal aliens to vote yeah Margaret Hoover asked her and this is a quote what is your view about some municipalities like San Francisco we see
1: legislators walking in just wanted to point oh, that good. out that Thanks. our, Senate, our house Senate members are and this Senate members Senate, are Senate, filing yeah. in.
2: And uh, they will uh, uh, be up on the stage behind all of the officials uh, who are going to be sworn in and who they'll be behind Brian Kemp when he gives his inaugural address. Margaret Hoover says, what's your view about some municipalities like San Francisco who've decided it's okay for some non-citizens to vote in local elections? She said, I think there's a difference between municipal and state and federal, Uh, but then she Margaret Hoover says, so in some cases, you'd be supportive of non-citizens. And she says, I wouldn't oppose it. I mean, I actually think there are some cases where 16-year-olds should be allowed to cast their vote and cast their ballot, and she goes on from there. Andra, uh, if you're thinking about making a run for the United States Senate, as well she might, uh, this is going to be a really big fodder uh, for the Purdue people.
0: Um, Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, I think that there would be a question about whether or not that's a a statement that she regrets in the future. I mean, I think it's also really important to point out, though, that, like, the types of people who would be given those types of voting rights um, are not undocumented people. I, I presume that the types of people that she would be looking at would be folks who have green cards, you know, who've established residency and have long ties to an area, and thus, you know, are paying taxes and, you know, perhaps own property and have a have a say in, what, in what's going on there. I mean, I think in general citizenship, you know, is important and it matters and it does actually become, you know, at least, you know, the minimal baseline, you know, for our participation in a society. Um, And for those who have established long term roots in a country that is, in fact, not their own, then they need to weigh the cost about whether or not they actually need to establish citizenship in this place that is now their home. Um, But in the long run, um, you know, it certainly will endear her to the progressive uh, wing of her base. I think there's just a question of how big that progressive base is in Georgia. I think after 2018, we know that it's bigger than I think a lot of people thought. But I think there is a question of if it's that big that like she can weather that storm. Lorena? Well, I
1: THINK THAT WOULD BE, TO YOUR POINT, WELCOME NEWS FOR THE PURDUE CAMPAIGN BECAUSE I THINK THAT IN GEORGIA, um, I THINK EVEN WITH METRO uh, REPUBLICANS, WE'RE LOOKING, BY THE WAY, AT
2: PICTURES OF THE LEGISLATORS NOW. GO AHEAD.
1: AREN'T, aren't GOING TO BE um, OKAY WITH um non-citizens voting in our elections. Um, it, it strikes at our, the core of our democracy, our Constitution, and um, I think you would find that would put her in a pretty, she'd have to find, she'd be pretty marginalized. She'd have to find some in, in that respect. Yeah,
2: uh, two things about that. Number one, this is a really uh, a response to what you just said, Andra. Uh, I cannot imagine too many Democrats in legislative races in 2020 who would want to stand with Stacey Abrams uh, despite the fact that, as you said, it's a progressive position and there might be voters out there statewide who would embrace it. I think she'd be abandoned on that issue by any number of people running in local elections, don't you?
0: Yeah, and I also think that especially depending on the level of blowback that she gets from the statement now, um, it wouldn't be at the forefront of her uh, platform. So she certainly wouldn't be running on making those types of proposals, and I doubt that she would be including it. It'd be something that she would have to respond to, and I think that that's a disadvantage for her because now she has to react to something. Um, It looks like an unforced error. Yeah,
3: Right, and and I think what you're probably going to see is she's going to have to go back and readdress that topic.
2: Well, you know, Jim, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. That was the second point I wanted. This is a woman who has now become an incredibly uh, seasoned candidate for office. Most people would say, except if you didn't like her at all, that she ran a wonderful campaign for governor. I mean, there weren't enough liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, to elect her governor, but people felt that with a couple of unforced errors, she ran a great campaign. This is an odd to have this sort of philosophical conversation with a television reporter strikes me as an odd choice. okay well the, the two, two things number one
3: uh, San Francisco is not Atlanta is not Georgia uh, culturally it's very different uh, and then wait, you, wait but, a but you but you but let me finish here <laughs> okay. let, me, let me finish <laughs> The other thing you have to remember about Stacey Abrams is is, 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 is is the ground she broke in 2018 was the national funding network that she set up. And California is a big part of that.
1: California and New York, she, she raised a lot of money in those two states, um, liberal bastions by and large. And um, if she were to run again, that's where she'd have to go for resources.
2: All right. I think it's an issue that we're going to watch play out if she decides to run uh, for Senate in the uh, months ahead. And we'll, we'll see. You're right, uh, Jim. We'll see how she tries to explain that, if she's put in a position uh, that she really has to do that. So, um, let's do this. We've got a few minutes left in today's Rewind before the actual inauguration begins. Uh, Jim, let's talk a little bit about the man who is about to be sworn in as the 83rd governor of Georgia and talk a little bit about what we expect to see unfold starting at about 2 o'clock or so. First of all, uh, I thought one of the most telling pieces of information we've been given is that Cody Hall, who will be his press secretary, uh, came to us and said, "Speech is nine and a half minutes long. Wow, that's a succinct message and probably really smart." He is not—he's <laughs> he,
3: not known for verbosity. <laughs> Uh, as, as 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 is the case with many many uh, Georgia governors, uh, but you, you also have to think, Bill. And we were talking about this before we went on air. This is a this is a, a really new new administration, a new governor and a new lieutenant governor. We haven't had that since '98. Uh, and so we've got you have got steep learning curves. And remember, Brian Kemp wasn't supposed to be the nominee. That was supposed to be Casey Cagle. Yeah. So. He, Brian Kemp has brought a lot of new people into the Capitol. So they're going to be moving rather cautiously, I think, at first.
2: Um, Loretta, if you were in a position to uh, help craft a speech like this, uh, what do you tell them about what the message should be just today?
1: Well, I think there clearly has to be a unifying message. There definitely has to be a forward thinking. But I think aspirationally, um, that's what, what most people are looking for today is somebody who is going to lead us into the future where there's going to be consensus building um an aspiration that we can look to a brighter future that he will build upon what the previous two governors have set there are a lot of uh republicans um, and democrats for that matter uh, across it runs across partisan lines who feel as though Um, Our country our state rather is on sound financial footing and that was not by accident That was due to a lot of hard work by his predecessors And so um, I think probably uh, not he'll make a nod to them and that he will carry on their good work
3: What uh, one thing that I'm really interested in watching over the next four years Brian Kemp is the it will be Georgia's first governor who came of age in a post segregation Georgia he was born in 1963. Uh, 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 most, I, I think, I think uh, most high schools in Georgia probably it probably took until to the mid 70s for 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 integration to really kick in. Uh, but 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 this is this is he, he is of a, he is of a new generation, and I don't know what that I don't know which side he comes down on. It.
0: So by virtue of his age, he's of that generation. But mm-hmm. by virtue of his upbringing, I'm not sure, considering that he went to Athens Academy. Um, and Which
3: was an alternative school that started up when, when integration hit hit, the, hit uh, the two big high schools in Athens. They used to be called SEG schools, didn't yeah. they?
0: Yeah, so, or academies.
2: And
3: and so, I
0: mean, and so, you know what, and, you know, that's not him. His parents made certain decisions, and, and, you know, and and, and he is not responsible for the decisions that his parents make. But I think he is responsible for uh, whether or not he has reflected upon that and considered the privileges and the disadvantages in terms of insight that he got as a result of that. Um, And so, you know, in thinking about what he says today and sort of the tone that he sets, Um, you know, he's got, you know, he's the governor, he's in charge, the buck stops with him. And so I went back and I looked at Nathan Deal's speech in 2011 to see the type of tone that he set. He did it in the context of the Great Recession, you know, double-digit unemployment. Um, he made some counter-stereotypical, uh, promises in terms of what his agenda was going to be, and then he couched them, and then this is how Republicans tackle these issues that are going to be of interest to my opponents. So what I'm looking for today is whether or not, uh... Governor Kemp can embrace an issue that people aren't expecting him to um, as a Republican, as a Trumpian Republican, and then figure out how he's going to put his own spin on it to say, here's how I can do this based on my own values.
2: Jim, he did grow up in Athens, uh, a real child of Athens. There were some people who thought he might actually take his inauguration out there. That didn't happen. But one of the things that's interesting uh, that I wasn't, I didn't really think about it, but you did during... conversation we had a week or so ago with uh speaker ralston uh we don't have governors from north georgia very often anymore he's the first one in quite a while well he's i mean you've got
3: uh, you had uh, nathan deal from gainesville and and this is now this is we're edging up a little bit further north in in Athens, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Ralston said that he was the first House Speaker uh, above the 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 Bremen, uh, Augusta line.
2: Maybe. Oh, it was Ralston. It
3: not, was Ralston.
2: Uh, thank you, thank you for correcting. See, this is why I have people who know what they're talking about <laughs> correcting me throughout uh, the hour uh, that we're on the air. By the way, we're expecting uh, former governor. I think the only governor we're expecting here today, at least according to the Kemp people, is Joe Frank Harris. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, he has not come in yet but he was another north georgia governor so forget about just nullify what i said about okay yeah Yeah,
3: we lost we lost zell miller last year yep uh sunny purdue is now part of the trump administration yep uh and this is not a party that i would expect to see roy barnes at anyway
2: (laughs) that's probably very true uh the other thing that's interesting to me about uh kemp and the family, three daughters, three daughters. Loretta. That's right. Uh, I think one of the daughters is going to be part of the program. Yes, uh, I believe Jared will be Jarrett.
1: delivering the invocation.
2: The invocation. Um, but uh, and, and his wife Marty will hold the family Bible on which he'll take the oath. We um, tweeted out a picture of that Bible uh, before we went on the air here today. But um, she's an interesting person in her own right. She at least presents herself as not the typical kind of uh, spouse of a politician right
1: well i mean but she, they
2: but she's the daughter of one uh, well that was the next right. thing i was going to talk about <laughs> her father was a longtime member a very very highly thought of member of the legislature so you go ahead
1: that's right well I, I would say that marty kemp is going to be a new type of first lady i believe part of it is generational um part of it is the fact that she and brian Kemp are very much a unit, they are very close, they have worked together, she's worked with him in his business, they're very much a team. Um, and she's formidable in herself, she's very comfortable in her own skin. And she has a very relaxed demeanor, so she's very accessible, um, she started out slowly on the campaign trail uh, way back when, and very easily and very, you know, and in, in no time, got very comfortable being out there, meeting with Georgians, talking with Georgians. And she's been with Brian and at his side along the way, as has his daughters. So they're a very tightly knit um, family unit. And um, I expect that it's gonna be fun to see some young women in the governor's mansion.
3: You know, you know, uh, Bill, what's what uh, another very, very subtle difference that, uh, that comes in with Brian Kemp is, and we saw it a little bit with the, with the prayer service at St. Philip's, he's Episcopalian. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's different from Georgia. In, in in olden days, when you and I were young, that made a lot of difference because we we constantly—you you ha- you had to be a Baptist or Methodist to qualify as governor. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, we should point out, by the way, to go back to it, her father, uh, Bob Argo, was one of the really— one of the very most highly respected members of the General Assembly uh, for a very long time. Here's what I love, Andra. Jennifer Brett, uh, a feature writer for the AJC, did a profile of Marty Kemp uh, within the month after Brian was elected. And here's the lead. After the most draining days on the campaign trail, Marty Kemp could walk out her back door and find solace in a reliable support group. Lula the horse, Miracle the sheep, and Butterscotch the goat, part of the menagerie on the Kemp's Athens Clark County Farm. You couldn't ask for a better lead to a feature piece if you're the first like incoming coming oh, I mean, first lady. That was a very,
0: very favorable piece, and I think probably one of the best ads of this cycle was <laughs> the ad where she, you know, comes in and sort of describes her right. husband. I mean, it was it was it was truly phenomenal. Unfortunately, you can't take those things to West Paces Ferry. Um, uh, you know, it'd be really funny to see a goat on the governor's uh, mansion lawn, so it won't be there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be maybe, really maybe it would, maybe it could. Well, you needed the goat to. Cut. <laughs> The grass, but then it's a question of whether or not you keep them. I there. think the last That's governor,
3: a- the last governor tried bees. Yeah, I think there was governor a governor deal. It might have, or it may, it may have been Sunny that had a, it had tried tried to try to put a, a couple of uh, a bee stations up there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. well, it's important environmental reasons to, to have that. You know, I. I actually do view Marty Kemp as probably somewhat of a traditional first lady. And when, as you were describing her, I was like, "How is that different from Rosalind Carter, for instance, so somebody who had walked alongside her husband, um, you know, in the family business and very much saw herself as a partner, um, you know, I you are as an asset, you know, in many ways." You know, I will be very curious to see, by virtue of her age, how different, you know, is she. Um, you know, education isn't necessarily going to be sort of the, the natural place that she goes in the same way that it was for Sandra Deal, just by virtue of the difference in occupation. Um, um, but, you know, in many ways, I, I, I see her playing the, the similar type of support surrogate role, um, you know, for her husband.
2: All right. I've got to stop this conversation because we've come to the end of our uh, political rewind uh, for the day. But I want to, on a future show, talk a little bit more about the First Lady uh, Marty Kemp. Because um, she's got big shoes to fill. S- I mean, Sandra Deal. Uh, ended up being a beloved First Lady across party lines. So so we'll talk about that again at some point. So that brings us to the end of our special Political Rewind today. But Jim Galloway, Loretta Lepore, Andre Gillespie are staying with us because in just a short time, we're going to present to you the inauguration of Brian Kemp. And uh, we'll present that entire ceremony uh, to you. We'll interrupt it Briefly here and there to fill you in on who's speaking and what's going on. Uh, But uh, for now, thank you for being with us for Political Rewind. We'll be right back with you in just a couple of minutes for the inauguration of Governor-Elect Brian Kemp.